Life Changes Church, we are in season two of the Promotable Life series. It is going to be an incredible word. So grab a notebook and a pen and get ready. So I want to preach this morning and I want to take us to possibly the most challenging part. If we come to land our Joseph series, maybe you're going, well, what more is there to say? He's received the highest promotion he could, which is prime minister of the land. He's gone from prisoner to prime minister. What more promotion could there be? I'm going to tell you about a higher promotion. A higher promotion. It's a radical situation. The 17-year-old gets thrown by his brothers into slavery. He gets sold for almost nothing. They didn't get a high price. And they just carried on with lunch. That's what the Bible says. So they just carried on with life. And yet, he spends 13 years, he goes into slavery. He gets stripped down, sold at a slave auction. Ends up in part of his house, serves and cleans toilets and cleans spaces, eventually finding favor, only too much favor because part of his wife thought he was a good thing. So he ends up in jail for 10 to 12 years. In jail with rapist on his back, serving. Why? Because his brother sold him into slavery. Fast forward. He becomes prime minister in the land. For seven years, collects the good food, the, the harvest that have come. And then two years into famine, his brother's in the far land with his father Jacob. His mother's passed away. He doesn't even know that. His, his half-brothers and then his, his brother Benjamin, he's navigating the situation. And they're running out of food. And so Jacob, the father, sends his brothers off to a distant land, to Egypt, to come and beg for food, essentially as they're going to die without the assistance. And they encounter a man who they don't recognize. A man with, with the, the markings of Egyptians and the hairstyle of an Egyptian and all the rigmarole of dress of Egyptian. They don't recognize. It's their brother, Joseph. But in his amazement, his brothers come and as their dream that happened when he was 17-year-old, they bow down before him, pleading and begging for food. And it plays out. He sends them off and he plants the silver in, in, in Benjamin's bag when Benjamin comes. So he says, now Benjamin will stay with me. It's a radical, radical situation. In this world, forgiveness is not the chosen route, is it? Any soapy you watch, and I know you watch your soapies. Any, any movie you watch, it's, we love Braveheart or we love um, all these movies that are all about revenge. If you go on Google and you tell about how to get revenge, I typed it in this morning, 434 million possibilities. You, there are revenge consultants who will charge you to get your revenge on ex-lovers and broken relationships and partners who've let you down. There's a whole new section of law that's come into, it's a first world problem mostly, because in some countries people are facing the ravages of absolute natural disasters, but in other countries, they're having up to come up with laws because people are giving their time, energy, and finances to getting back at lovers with things like revenge porn, where they're taking intimate photos, putting it on the internet to shame and take down the people who've broken their hearts. That's the way the world deals with this. But Jesus says, we are different. And then you encounter Joseph who navigates the most radical situation of being wronged by his brothers. And 13 years, I don't think he was sitting in jail going, this is great self-development opportunity for me. I'm going to take my 20s and just throw them into self-development in prison. I don't think, I don't think he's going, oh, I hope my brothers are well. Like, I, I really hope they're going on and life's just really good. I wonder how dad and mom's, you know, in the series, I, I would have told you that it was not because of their 
good fortune for Joseph that they threw him into prison, into slavery. No, they were burning with jealousy and it turned their hearts into evil and brothers sold their brother into slavery. It's evil. There's, there's no justification. There's, there's none. And yet we come to this story and I want to speak today about the forgiveness revolution. Because if we call to change this world, I'm telling you, the only thing that will change this world is sons and daughters of the living God representing their father. That's it. The highest promotion is not prime minister. The highest promotion you or I will ever receive in this life is son or daughter of the living God. It's the highest status that any man born into this world, any woman born into this world can receive. Son, daughter. So why does this happen after the promotion of prime minister? Because it wouldn't have mattered if it happened before. This is a higher promotion. And so as we navigate this, we jump into the word again this morning because it wasn't about money that they sold them. We jump to the context of Genesis 44. The brothers are there. Joseph just said, you're going to have to leave Benjamin here. And those same brothers respond this way. As Judah speaks to, to his brother Joseph, who he doesn't know is his brother Joseph. You with me? If you're new to the series, you're visiting us this morning. We've been in a series in the book of Genesis through the life of Joseph. Go catch up on it. Read the Bible. God wants to show you amazing things. Says this, and now, my Lord, I cannot go back to my father without the boy. Our father's life is bound up in the boy's life. And if he sees that the boy is not with us, our father will die. We, your servants, will indeed be responsible for sending that grieving white-haired man to his grave. My Lord, if I guaranteed to my father that I would take care of the boy. I told him, if I don't bring him back to you, I will bear the blame forever. So please, my Lord, let me stay here as a slave instead of the boy. And let the boy return with his brothers. For how can I return to my father if the boy is not with me? I couldn't bear to see the anguish this would cause my father. Let's just play that out for a second. You're Joseph. The same dude, Judah, your brother, sold you into slavery. Now the same dude is saying, let me go into slavery for my brother Benjamin, and you're the brother going, you sold me into slavery. Anyone feel self-justified? You like fighting for Joseph. You're like, take him, Joseph. Take him. I know you are. That's and, you know, we all fought for Liam Neeson when he was going after those bad guys. Yeah, we did. We rooted for him. It continues in verse four, chapter 45. Joseph could stand it no longer. Here's the revolution. Church, how will we change the world? How will we change the world? This is how we'll change the world. There were many people in the room, and he said to his attendants, out, all of you. So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. Then he broke down and wept. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians could hear him, and word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. Can you imagine? They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please, come closer, he said to them. So they came closer, and he, he, again, he said again, I am Joseph, your brother. Why? Because they didn't believe him the first time. Whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset, and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years. And there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of this entire palace, and the governor of all Egypt. 
Now hurry back to my father and tell him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me master over all the land of Egypt. So come down to me immediately. You can live in the region of Goshen. You can be near me with all your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and everything you own. I'll take care of you there. I will take care of you there. I will take care of you there. For there are still five years of famine ahead of us. Otherwise you, your household, and all your animals will starve. Then Joseph added, look, you can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that I really am Joseph. Go tell my father of my honored position here in Egypt. Describe for him everything you have seen, and then bring my father here quickly. Weeping with joy, he embraced Benjamin, and Benjamin did the same. Then Joseph kissed each of his brothers and wept over them. And after that, they began talking freely with him. I want to speak today about what forgiveness looks like. And I want to ask that you open up your heart. Because I've just seen too many shipwreck stories of people who've done 40 years in church but never had a revelation of the power of forgiveness to change not just our own lives but this world. I want to ask that you allow the word of God to settle on your heart today. Start a revolution in your own heart that would change this world because I want to tell you forgiveness isn't skin deep. It's much deeper it's a heart-changing experience, first, of our revelation of God in Jesus Christ, and the all we have received, and then it demands a response that looks different to what the world offers every time. Let me help you first, though. Forgiveness doesn't go like this. Walking up to someone, like I've had many times over 30 years in church, and people saying, I forgive you. I'm going, for what? <laughs> like, no, remember the other day when you walk in, you didn't greet me walking. I'm like, No. But it does, and it happens all the time like that. I want to tell you, let's give me a simple rule as we move forward, that the secret sins must be confessed secretly to God. Meaning if you've been offended, challenged, and you've got unforgiveness in your heart, you need to go to God with that. If someone doesn't have a clue what you're talking about, don't go to them. You're not helping them. You're not helping them. You need help, which means take your secret sins to God. But if there is private sins that must be confessed because they've been hurt people, they've injured people, go to that person privately and navigate the tough conversation, but let's stop the flippancy of I forgive you and making them cheap words because they're not cheap words. But I want to take us and just tell us what forgiveness looks like today. First and foremost, it looks like this. It covers shame. It covers shame. Why did Jesus provide wine at a wedding? To cover the shame of running out of wine at a wedding. And yes, to show his first miracle. Why did the father run and cover over with his cloak the son, the prodigal who'd returned stinking, full of his brokenness still yet? Well, to cover his shame. And why does Joseph in this moment say this? Joseph could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room and he said to his attendants, out, all of you. So there would not be one other person in that room who could command shame towards his brothers. Not one. I don't know about you, but I would have felt a little bit entitled to pouring a little bit of shame. After 13 years of slavery in prison, another seven years working hard to save a food, another two years serving this nation, and then you encounter your brothers at 29, 39 years old. You would have felt justified in bringing a little bit of, huh? But he sends everyone out the room. So I want to ask you to start there. 
with your unforgiveness. Yeah. To the people who hurt you. Generally, they're the people closest to us. And as I preach this word tomorrow, today, I'm challenged because I know many of your stories. I know about the grandfathers who abused for years. I know about the, the lady whose husband allowed her to prostitute herself and encourage her to do it so they could sustain a lifestyle that was a lie while the nine-month-old child lived upstairs. Mm. I know about the people who've received just brokenness, pain, and abuse at the hands of corrupt political situations in this nation. And I know what I'm asking you today in the natural is impossible. It is. But we aren't of the natural. We're sons and daughters of the living God. So the first thing he does is he covers shame. Then he says this. He reveals who he is. Don't take that for granted. He doesn't say, my fancy name in Egypt is blah, 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 blah. My title in Egypt is prime minister. My status is. My, he just says, I am Joseph. When he responds, he responds out of his true identity, his God-given identity, his son of Jacob identity, his identity that links him to the living God. And too often we respond out of our broken identity. We respond out of our, the identity that's been damaged or hurt, and we come from that place. And I'm telling you, it's because we choose to tell the stories like they're our hero testimonies. Our testimonies aren't how much we've been healed, been broken and beaten. Our testimonies are how much we've been healed. Tell those testimonies, speak from a place of healing and wholeness. We find that we land ourselves in an ability to be ourselves. So when you navigate the person who's hurt and, you, you and, and you're forgiving and you're allowing that to come, don't give the name that gives you status, give the name that gives you sonship. And find freedom there. And he links himself immediately with his father Jacob, his grandfather Isaac, and his great-grandfather Abraham, and the goodness of God through his life even though he's been captive in a nation for years. He spent his 20s in jail. I want to give you the most simple preach today, and then I'm going to ask the Spirit of God will allow you to respond to the healing that is required. Third, and we're getting power, it says, he keeps the main thing, the main. He goes, I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. And if that was the start, I would go, I am Joseph, the one you sold into slavery, just in case you've forgotten. I am Joseph, the one who spent all these years in prison because of you. I am Joseph, you know, the guy that you hear fighting for Benjamin. What about me? But he doesn't do that. We have a tendency to get small. We have a tendency to solve. Man is the, we are unbelievably good at self-justification. In a new age of my truth and your truth and my word and your word. And no, we, we don't get that. We get the word, we get truth, and we get our response to Jesus. And he just comes and he says, I am Joseph. He doesn't go down any of the little small rabbit holes. He just says, is my father still alive? Why? Because for all these years, all he's wanted to feel was the embrace of his father. The last time he felt the embrace of his father was when his father sent him out to go and look for his brothers and check for their well-being. And he ended up in slavery. He says, is my father still alive? Now, I don't know if that was his thought. Every moment he was dragged through a desert behind a donkey. I don't know. I don't know if that's thought when he was stripped, 
naked at a slave trading, whatever. I don't know, as he was thrown into jail and then forgotten in jail, I don't know if those were his first thoughts. I don't think they would have been, to be brutally honest. We read this like he's some kind of saint. He's just a human. This is a historical account of a human with human emotions, just like you and I. Sometimes we read these and this guy must have just a very strong constitution. This is like the Chuck Norris of the early days. No, he's not. He was just a 17-year-old kid sold into slavery. He had no control over his future. But he knew the goodness of God. And then it gets more powerful. I think one or two of the points I left out of the note. But the, the fourth point is this, come closer. Come closer. It says this, but his brothers were speechless. Can you imagine? They're just going, oh my word. We've just come to beg for food. We're in the palace of the guy who can literally chop all our heads off. We chucked him into slavery. The Bible goes, they were speechless. Yeah. There's no excuse, justification, nothing. For years, they've sat wondering, what happened to Joseph? We, they've lied to their father all these years. Now they've got to go and tell their father, he's alive. They've got to tell their father, we lied to you all these years. We killed your favorite son by throwing into slavery. All in a split second, you wonder why they're speechless. Then it says they were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Speechless and stunned. You want to engage someone with true forgiveness? You will engage someone who will be speechless and stunned. And I love it. He says these words. Please, come closer. I just imagine the brothers all lined up there. Okay, go Judah. You go first. The Simeon. All the others are like, I'm moonwalking, but they're not actually moving anywhere. They're just like, I'm coming. I promise them. Why? Because all those years you think he's got some ninja stars that he's just going to start throwing at you. Or just because he brought all this pent-up anger that is so natural. I'm not denying the natural emotions of being hurt. Receiving abuse. and I'm not denying those things. I'm calling you to your true identity, which is son of the living God, daughter of the living God, where we have a supernatural ability to rise above. It's the only way. It's not natural. He says, peace, come close, they said to him. So they came close, and I would imagine they came closer like this. I don't imagine them running. I just don't. Says, and, and he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Come closer again, he says. Church, we have to be different. We have to be. We have to be. I flipped, man. I sat next to a sports field on a school ground in this city on Friday, and I witnessed racism at an under, four, under 15 sports. And something rose up inside of me. I called the coaches. I said, I said this is not right. You're going to fix this now. I'm not angry at a 14-year-old who doesn't know what he's doing, but I'm telling you there's brokenness here, and we have to rise above. We have to be different. God has to rip it out of us, church, whether you are the perpetrator or the perpetrated. He's got to rip it out of us because that brokenness pulls the power out of the church, and we're all going, where's the power of the church? But I just don't like that, guys, and I don't like those guys, and I don't like those guys. They, them, and them. It's got to be ripped out of us. We talk about a Christian nation. We'll be a Christian nation when we forgive, 
We'll be a Christian nation when we get over our prejudice. We'll be a Christian nation when we start looking and acting like sons and daughters. Come closer. And it gets more powerful. God has always been in control. He says, but don't be upset. And don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. What? No, it wasn't. Yeah, I imagine even the brothers, no, we actually just sold you for some bucks. We just didn't, we really didn't like you, Joseph, to be brutally honest. You were an arrogant little 17-year-old who kept telling us we were going to bow down to you. And now we are. Well done. (laughs) Honestly, are they going, no, you, no. But he's got a revelation as a son of God that changes his thinking. Our thinking has to be changed. Everyone praying, Lord, show me your will for my life. Well, let me tell you how you get there. It says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Do not be, it's a command. Do not be conformed. What's conformed? Well, the pattern of the world is revenge. The pattern of heaven is forgiveness. It says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Got to let your mind be renewed in the presence of God by his word coming upon us so our responses would be different to our natural, earthly, broken responses, but more the responses of heaven. John Stott says this, forgiveness is as indispensable to life and health of the soul as food is for the body. There's a situation came up in Matthew 18 and good old Peter who kept on messing up along the way. He said this, then Peter came and said to him, Lord, he's speaking to Jesus, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? He's just asking, what's the lowest? Because I, I don't like Matthew, and he's given me a good 47 times. He said, I'm definitely, I'm counting. <laughs> Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven, 490 times. What's Jesus saying? You can count. Oh, Dave, you're on 380, only 100 more to go then I can take you down. No. No, he's saying it's not of this world. Take a perfect number like seven, another perfect number like 10, multiply that and remind you that it's in the perfect grace of Jesus Christ that you have been received and your overwhelming sins that were poured upon the body of Jesus Christ, now you get to respond by forgiving others. It's the only response you get. Maybe you don't like this word. Maybe you don't want to do it. That's your choice. But I'm telling you, your sign and wonder to the world, your revolution that brings Jesus into the world looks like this. He says, for this kingdom, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with the slaves. And it goes like this. One gets forgiven and his debt gets released. But he goes after another who owes him debt and strangles the dude. And the king comes back and says, but I forgave you, you're dead. Now you go after your brother. It's the nature of man. And our carnal makeup, we forget what we have received. And church, too often we forget what we've received. And prompted by gratitude, the forgiven sinner always, always, always has to do everything in their power to forgive whoever sinned against them. Everything. Encouraged. Easy, eh? Easy, easy. We're gonna it's easy. Uh, now I've sat with forty-year-old, fifty-year-old, sixty-year-old men who a word was said by a father fifty years before, and it's held them. Sat with one man; he was forty-three years old. I was twenty-eight. 
He said to me on my fourth birthday, I was so excited. I thought I was going to get a gift. My dad got home. I ran up to him and said, Dad, you got me a gift. He punched me in the nose, broke my nose, and said, never trust anyone. That's your gift. Seems unreal, eh? Happens every day. Somehow that's even better than the father who disappeared. He never said anything. I sat with all of them. It's the thing that keeps me up at night. It's the thing that keeps me up in the morning. And I haven't had to face some of those things. But we all have to face our own things. How will you face them? Will it be get away from me? Or will it become close? The one reveals Jesus, the other doesn't. The one taps into a supernatural power where I am revealing who I am as a son of God and the other one just reveals more of the world. Covers shame. Reveals who we are. Keeps the main thing the main thing. Calls us to come closer. And reveals that God has always been in control. This never was about promotion to prime minister. This was about a son being revealed to a nation. Because it's the sons and daughters of God who will save nations. Joseph becomes the provider of food to nations, not just Egypt. But that wasn't his highest sign and testimony of his life. That through trial, challenge, he remained a son. Our church, we've got to get beyond our offenses. Our, our justified, self-justified position of indifference towards not just believers, to those that are know too. Join the revolution. The challenge of Romans 12, maybe Sharon, you can come up. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Let me remind you, this is a command. It's not a suggestion. If you're a believer, you receive the blood of Jesus Christ as your savior. This is for you. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear brothers, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, said the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Let me just read that one again. I think some of you at the back there didn't get that one. You're right. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Why are you helping me? Get away from me. I don't deserve this. Every one of us know what we do and don't deserve. Let's be honest. The Bible reminds me, I deserve wrath. Romans reminds me, every one of us have sinned and fallen short. I've sinned on the way to church many times. Shock and horror. With my thoughts, my mind, with my frustrations. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. To return good for good, that's human. That's just natural. We can do that. To, to return good for evil is divine. Then we are identifying with our divine nature. Then we are identifying with our sonship. Then we are identifying something that's far deeper than skin deep. This is not a suggestion. 
two questions this morning and then I'd like to close. First, have you ever heard the words, come close? Maybe you've heard come to church. Maybe you've heard do this, don't do this. Say this, don't say this. Dress like this, don't dress like this. I'm not asking that. I'm asking, have you ever heard the words, come close? It's the gospel. It's Jesus on the cross saying, Father, forgive them, for they know that what they're doing. Who's he? It's me. It's my sin. It's my brokenness. It's my self-justification. It's my anger. It's not some Roman soldier. Stop blaming it on the Roman soldiers who pierced the side. That was my spear. But that same man who took that spear in his side says to me, come close. That's the gospel. Why plant a church? Another service, just another, another opportunity? No. Is there people who need to hear the words? Come close. Come close. Have you ever heard the words, come close? Because if you haven't this morning, the words for you, come close. That's the first question. The second ones of those who have. You've heard the words, come close, but you've forgotten that outside of the receipt of that love, you are bankrupt in your brokenness. You are bankrupt in your sin, and we think we got this because we swear less than the other guy got a young man in my house who's navigating his own journey and he's stuck away in boarding school and he says dad some of these Christians do interesting things I said but it's not your journey you walk with Jesus and remember that outside of his grace you are just bankrupt like everyone else your bank balance means nothing your status means nothing the titles this world gives you means nothing the only thing that means anything are those words come close and that we get washed clean by Psalm 130, verse 3. If you, Lord, should mark your iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? I'm your preacher, man, and I'm telling you, if God marked my iniquities on that wall, you would not see the wall. I promise you. I promise you. You just wouldn't even see a bit of brick. He says, but there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Which means when you remember how bankrupt you are outside of Christ, to give away forgiveness is just the starting point of sonship or daughtership. It's just the starting point. Can we stand, please? I heard a quote years ago. It's never left me. It says, it's not the, snake, it's not the bite of the snake that kills you. It's chasing the snake that pushes the poison to your heart as you endeavor to kill the snake. And people are spending their lives trying to get back at people. People are living years and their present relationships are determined by the brokenness of their past. But that's not the gospel. Isaiah 43 challenges us, says, all these things I've done, but forget all that. We look ahead. We move. We are people who receive grace and move. At many weddings, I've told this story and I shared it at a 30-year celebration and wow's renewal. As you leave Durban, there's a building up on the hill in Marion Hill Plaza. 
It's a big building. It was called the Metrophile Building, and I never knew what it was. I was just intrigued by this big building. Until I started working at a big corporate, and they would start sending our fancy signed documents off to this place called Metrophile, and we paid them thousands of rands to just keep the documents just in case one day we needed them. Just in case one day something went wrong in the deal. Something didn't work out the way we liked and we could run to the law. Just relax, lawyers. We could run to the law and say, fight. My rights have been affected. You know how many marriages have left metrophile buildings? Many families have got metrophile buildings. You know how many times I've stood next to deathbeds where people have asked me to pray to see life come to a dying body and these people won't talk to each other. We are the church. I know this is strong and I know you can't do it by yourself and neither can I. But Jesus can. Jesus says, come close. Come close. Be free today, church. Be free. Can we close our eyes just for a little bit? I know we've gone a little bit longer today. But God is working with us. Oh, I'm preaching and he's ripping stuff out of me. I love the word of God. I love the word of God because it brings freedom. It's bringing freedom now. If you'll allow him. He's calling you son. He's calling you daughter. Come out. Come out from your self-justification. Come out from your closet conversations. Come out from your self-justification that pulls you deeper into pits. I have not called you to the pits. I am the God who's calling you to more. Come out and come close. This morning, if you've not received those words, come close to me. And you're saying, I don't know if I've received that love and that call. This morning, receive that love and that call. I'd love to pray with you. Is there anyone here this morning saying, actually, I haven't given my life to Jesus. I haven't had access to that power we're talking about, but I want it. I need it. I'm desperate for it. Is there anyone here this morning we'd love to celebrate with you as God brings life? Why don't you raise your hands if that's you this morning? Is there anyone here? That's awesome. And I want to pray for believers this morning. If you know that there's areas of unforgiveness in your life this morning, do business and allow God to do it on your behalf. But your faith has got to rise that He can. Can we ask, can I ask for eyes to be closed? If you know there's areas of unforgiveness, and I'm telling you, most of the people, they don't even know. But maybe they do. But maybe you've been captive for year after year because of someone else's sin today that's got to end will you raise your hand this morning as I want to pray for many in this room I'm telling you many hands are going up there's many there are areas of unforgiveness right now lift your hands in faith I can do nothing but the God of heaven sees and he gives the grace thank you God thank you keep your hands up just for a moment that's good right now God I pray and I echo your words come close Pray your grace upon each and every person now. The ability to tap into the supernatural, the ability to trust for what is only possible in your grace and your goodness. Bring freedom now. Break chains now.
chains, 30-year-old chains, broken. Chains of disappointment, chains of unforgiveness, broken now. Broken, broken. Where fears have existed in life because of this unforgiveness. I pray, God, come in your mighty power and break the chains off of your people now. A higher than prime minister was just, I am Joseph, a son. Receive his grace this morning. Be free. But I want to challenge you with one thing. If you can open your eyes. I want to challenge you. This gets done up close. So if, if there's a secret sin of unforgiveness in your life, get up close with God. We get scared when we get up close with God sometimes. I used to be nervous with my preacher, man. If he walked that side of the hall, I knew what was in my mind. I walked the other side. But get up close with God and deal with the secret stuff. But if there are other relationships, my encouragement would be this. Get up close. It might be a starting with a letter. It might need a phone call. But if it demands an airplane flight, if you need to go see a parent, a sibling, where there's a broken relationship and you cannot get there, come and talk to me. It's that important for the kingdom of God. And we'll make it happen. Because the kingdom of God's at stake. Get up close. And allow the God of heaven to move mountains. Not just in the songs we sing, but in our lives. Thank you so much for watching. If you'd like to take your next steps or find out what's happening in the life of the church, head over to our website or follow us on social media. We can't wait to see you soon.